4: Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
2: Wednesday morning, the 2nd of January. Good morning and Happy New Year. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. We'll begin 2019 with uh, the formation of a new political party. Padraig Tobin has been meeting with politicians and others aspiring to public office to join forces with him. The now independent TD for Mead West since Parting Ways, which in Fein last November, Uh, joins us after 21 years as a member of uh, the party he now hopes uh, to establish an alternative Republican 32 county party and thank you indeed for coming in to us uh, this morning a happy new year to you and uh, it looks as though it's going to be a a very busy year for politicians of all
4: ilks good morning to you and a very happy new year to you and all your listeners as well Michael it is going to be a busy year there's no doubt about it Um, there's I suppose a major job of work to be done Um, I believe there's a a realignment necessary in Irish politics. Um, I believe that there's a lot of the uh, most political parties, a lot of the members in those political parties are finding that the leadership of those political parties are moving in a different direction to them. Um, The leadership of those political parties are doing damage to many of the core values of those members. Um, A lot of those members are still members of those political parties because of the fact that they would have a lot of social ties Mm. with those political parties. But I believe that uh, political activism is not a social club. It's much more important than that. Political activism is about making sure that your values uh, have a voice within society. And as a result, we're seeing a lot of people come to us um, in in the... Six weeks that we have been up and running, about 1,400 people.
2: So you're not pining. You've severed your ties with Sinn Féin. Uh, Some would see you as a Sinn Féin cast-off, but uh, you're uh, feeling confident in in, uh, this new role that you've assumed.
4: Listen, I worked for 21 years within Sinn Féin, and I was very happy to do so uh, for most of that time. Um, And I have a lot of good friends uh, over those years, People, very decent people who are in Sinn Féin, uh, at the moment, who I respect a lot. Um, and while it was very, very difficult, like like extremely difficult to have gone through and the severed that I did, uh, I was left with no choice because um, there is no point in collecting votes and working for a political organisation that is doing damage to your political objectives. Um, it is really important that people align themselves with a political organisation that fully represents... Their objectives within society Mm. and that makes sure that they have, I suppose, an equal right then to function within that organisation that they're not benched or they're not uh, made into a second class member uh, etc. And that's one of the reasons that I felt it was necessary in this time of political realignment uh, to make sure that a third of the population who has no voice within Leinster House actually has a voice in Leinster House and it's, it's, it's really important that in a functioning democracy that's uh, respectful opposition is allowed and has a place, if the doll doesn't represent in roughly equal proportions the views that exist outside of the doll. Well, then you'll find that those people outside of the doll become marginalised. They mm. have no voice. They and when, when, when you talk about
2: a third of the people, you're talking about the people who voted against uh, abortion. Right. I take well, it. Well,
4: mm. we, we're here, I suppose, on the on the second of January now, and the abortion bill has passed. Mm. And the first abortions will start to happen in the next couple of days in Ireland. And for many people around the country, uh, people will be brokenhearted with regards uh, that particular decision. Many people who even voted yes will tell me, for example, who are coming to my meetings, are saying that the legislation that uh, Simon Harris has uh, put into place is far more extreme than they imagined that it would be. It's actually one of the most liberal abortion laws in Europe currently. Uh, and as a result, it's, for me... It's a serious step back with regard to human rights. And this organisation is all about human rights, mm. and the human rights to life is I'm sure important.
2: you'll agree with uh, the Taoiseach and others, though, who have uh, described it as an historic start to the new year.
4: Well, I heard the Taoiseach mention that th- this was a sign of, of a progressive new society. Mm. The bill that we voted on a few weeks ago said that a termination of pregnancy is the ending of a life of a human being. In what circumstance is the ending of a, of a life of a human being progress?
2: Mm. But it is historic
4: oh there's no doubt it, it, mm. it is an historic change uh, and I believe that uh, there is a change afoot in our society and most of the political parties have realigned themselves very very quickly in the space of a couple of years on these types of issues and what i 'm saying to people is that if you have a different view of you like myself, if you mm. believe that the, the the right to life is a human right and should be protected uh, as well as the right to housing it being a human right and the well as well as the right to uh education and healthcare being a human right. If you believe that your voice is not currently represented within Leinster House at the moment, get on board and make sure that we have a voice in Leinster House. And already we have about eight elected reps who have um, declared for our new organisation, which is incredible because the Social Democrats are around for about three years and they have roughly eight elected reps uh, we're not even out of the starting gate as of yet, mm. and uh, we're at that level. I'm speak I'm visiting six elected reps from different parts of the country this- mm. today but uh, about getting involved in in, in our this new organisation. Mm. But and you,
2: you, you, you. you talk uh, about abortion and representing a third of the population who's against the introduction of uh, these new laws, laws which many women want, obviously. uh, the My Options helpline has had a steady stream of calls, they say to it, and I'm sure some of those calls have been from women who are looking to terminate a a pregnancy. Uh, But uh, whilst Bishop Kevin Doran says uh, that the politicians who voted Uh, in favour of abortion are clearly out of communion with the church they wouldn't necessarily be out of communion with your political party would they because you'd uh, allow a a vote of conscience
4: well first of all I just want to say that this uh, political organisation that we're developing will be a a, a will be a pluralist political organisation so uh, first and foremost it will be open to people from a Catholic background a Protestant background Mm. there are many people who are joining us who are atheists uh, Jewish Muslim etc Um, So we want to see a pluralist Ireland where uh, people from every cultural background and every religious background Mm. can express themselves uh, without fear or favor within the country. And that's really important. People shouldn't have to keep their heads down depending on which uh, kind of background they're in. Uh, I fought for freedom of conscience Mm. for about five years in Sinn Féin uh, because I believed that this particular issue, even if you have a different view to me, Mm. I believe that your view, if it's strongly held, and it's based on your real understanding of okay. the world, that you're entitled to that particular Okay, field.
2: so would you be willing to form a, a coalition with your party, which has not yet been established, obviously, which in Féin, let's say?
4: Well, I suppose that's... Well, we are the start of the year, I suppose. Yeah. So that's very previous... Uh, well, it is a
2: very previous question, but there's it, it, a, a is. very good purpose what, to it, which say. is that if you were to become a minority partner in a coalition which in Féin or some other party that supports the abortion legislation, uh, well, then you're in a, a very strange position for you well, who may lead that party because it could be one of your representatives that ends up being the Minister for Health and oversees this policy. Yeah, what I will say, so one of
4: our objectives would be we, we seek obviously um, and I don't want to speak just mm. about abortion because no. while it's a very, very important issue mm. for ourselves, we want to make sure that we're focusing on, on all the other issues as well. Uh, like for example it breaks my heart that uh, Simon Harris has focused on the issue of abortion nearly Nearly exclusively for two years, mm-hmm. while the seven hundred and fifty thousand people are on waiting lists uh, for the health service, mm-hmm. while ten thousand people were on trolleys in the month of November, while we're having uh, difficulties in Navin keeping our own hospital uh, open uh, fully. Now, you mentioned the issue of coalition. So obviously, mm-hmm. it's, far, it's far too early to discuss coalitions. Mm-hmm. But, what but, to you, but what I will say to, but what I will say to, is this. One of the ways that we would seek to roll back the legislation that the government have just introduced Mm. would be by developing a a number of elected reps in Leinster House. And if it were useful to our objectives Mm. to form a coalition with another political party to... Uh, introduce it as a red line in those negotiations uh, that there would be a rollback of uh, the legislation that's uh, currently happening. But but
2: you're uh, proposing no policy politics. Uh, I mean, what's the policy of this party that you're hoping to establish on abortion?
4: Well, it's like the policy is 100% pro-life. We are looking to reduce the numbers of abortions that happen in Mm. Ireland. We look to do that in a number of ways. One, by changing the legislation in this country. And two, and this is really important as well, Michael. But, you, you but just can I note, this? I want to, I want but to get this point you. Did you say before that
2: you, you, you would uh, allow pro-choicers to join your party and that they'd be welcome uh, but, and that you'd respect their views on first this? First of all,
4: issue. There's, as I said. We have worked hard mm. for freedom of conscience within Sinn Féin. I've even, in the legislation that I was working on in the Dáil very recently... But you we can't were, have We were it. working hard for freedom mm. of conscience for doctors, nurses, yeah, and midwives. And it's, freedom of conscience is an important part. I want our that elected reps... But that means no policy. It That, that
2: mean, means everybody decides their own policy.
4: We no, don't because have a, a I, I can't position. imagine there will be a lot of radical pro-choicers actually mm. joining our organisation. It would be as logical as people who are looking to play hurling joining a golf club, in fairness. So you're going to have people who have similar views to ourselves joining our organisation, mm. both at membership level and elected okay. rep level. So, so they're
2: empty words when you say that. No, yeah. but what, what, mm,
4: I'm, mm, what I'm saying mm. to you is... What about euthanasia? Well, personally, I, I don't agree with euthanasia mm. myself. So in other words, I would be pro-life for the whole life. Mm. Um, so I imagine, again, that most people who are joining our organisation will seek to make sure that there is the proper health services provided mm. for people both you know at the time of birth and the time of death and and this is the important point I wanted to mention to you is that Simon Harris says that he is pro-choice, but most of the economic policies that Simon Harris is introducing means that women feel that they don't have mm. a choice, so for example, last year nineteen women gave birth who were homeless. But you just that, want to say, say, that sentence, establish it. So don't let that sentence sh- just drop off the edge of the table here. 19 mm. women yeah. last year gave birth who were homeless. Mm. Now, any government that actually allows for that to happen yeah. while hypocritically okay, now, saying that they're focusing on uh, women's rights is... it? is lying okay, to the people and, of Ireland.
2: And your solution would be the Sinn Féin solution. No, no, my solution, you're, you're,
4: my solution to that would be to ensure that women feel, women have the necessary economic and social supports mm. to know that they can have the confidence to bring their child to term, mm. that there should be no woman in Ireland in 2019 that feels she has to have an abortion due to the economic circumstances that Fine Gael have created. That's what I'm saying.
2: Okay, well, I think to a large degree your policy would be Sinn Féin policy prior to uh, its uh, support for abortion legislation.
4: Well, like, I'll, I'll tell you, there's there's no doubt that uh, obviously I was involved in in a lot of the discussions and the development of policy within Sinn Féin, and you know there's no integrity to say that you're going to flip just because you're, mm. you're 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 out of of a of a political. So it's not really an alternative. But there will be there will, be there, there will be there will be changes with regards. We will. Our attitude is many parties of the left, mm. for example, pit those who are on 20 grand against those who are on 60 grand. Those who are on 30 grand against those who are on 50 grand. Yes, there should be progressive taxes around those particular wages. But the elephant in the room that the left is forgetting about, I believe, is the 1%. 87% of the of the wealth of the planet last year concentrated in the hands of the 1%. About 60, 60 people on this planet have the same wealth as 3.5 billion people. It's Last year we had a... About eighty people who are what they call not net high worth individuals, people who had a wealth of over five million euros, pay tax at the same level as someone on the average industrial wage. It is incredible that we have like, and, and I and I believe this is what one of the reasons for the for the uh, riots in France and a lot of the real anger around the world is that there is a yawning gap between the extremely wealthy and rich. And the rest of us. And I don't believe that the left are properly looking at that. Another difference that I will say, we, we absolutely want to make sure that there's proper investment into the health services. But the left often forget that we, it's, it's necessary to make sure that we fix the maladministration in the health services as well. Because if you have maladministration, it means that taxpayers' funds are not getting to frontline uh, services at, at all. We also believe that actually small businesses don't get a fair hearing from a lot of the left uh, Mm. currently. And in in, in a way, many of the small businesses listening to your show today won't have their incomes majorly in excess of any of the workers that are working out there too. And the small to medium-sized enterprise in this state is the poor relation of the government's economic policy. The government's economic policy is focused completely on foreign direct Mm. investment even though most of the population is actually employed by the small to medium in, in, indigenous uh, sector. And that will be radically different. Okay. We're also go like w- with regards to the north of Ireland, we, we mm. are a united Ireland party. And, you know, I believe that Sinn Féin has missed a trick over the last number of years with regards how to unite Ireland. The border is, is like a wall with a thousand blocks mm. in it. Each of those blocks is a, a, a an, an everyday practical measure such as a cross-border ambulance service or a cross-border education service or a cross-border corporation tax or, or excise duty and while we're waiting for a united ireland referendum while we're in this this uh, stasis with regards stormont stormont we should be starting to work on building that all-Ireland economy to take each of those blocks out mm. of that wall, to bring down the height okay. of that wall, and to make the well, transition t- to unity easier. Let's talk about
2: that in some other elections because uh, it's two years uh, since there's been a- an assembly. Yes. Uh, we're looking into a-, a year here in the South where uh, there will be local and European elections, European elections in the North. Uh, there could be a British general election. Uh, there uh, will undoubtedly be a-, a number of referenda for people to vote on. What role uh, do you and the party you seem confident uh, you're going to establish, uh, expect to have in these popular votes?
4: Well, obviously, we'll be um, right now. We're developing common around the country. We have 20 common already um, set up uh, in, in Ireland, North and South. I hope by the end of February that we will have 100 common set up by the end of January and the start of February. We'll already be selecting uh, candidates for the local elections. Uh, and I hope that we'll be going into those local elections with about twenty councillors, uh, north and south, and that we'll hopefully double that uh, in the local le- uh, elections ahead. Uh, you mentioned the Good Friday Agreement. The Good Friday Agreement was a really important uh, landmark agreement, and it sets the foundation for many of th- for for a peace that nobody thought was possible. But we need to start looking beyond the Good Friday Agreement at the moment, because there are people in the north of Ireland who are living in food, housing, mm. and health poverty currently. And that's happening at the same time that one dysfunctional party, the DUP, have torn down the and put the uh, the, the executive into cold storage. So that's clearly, anybody looking at that will tell you that the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement are not working. The Good Friday Agreement was set up when there was a unionist majority and when there was no talk of Brexit. All that has changed. It is the responsibility of the governments north or in, in Ireland and in Britain to introduce joint authority now mm. and for us to start w- working with regards to the all-Ireland economy. And I want to talk... like Brexit is one of the major threats that are happening to this country currently. The all-Ireland economy is one of the major ways to ameliorate that threat. It was promised to us when the Good Friday Agreement was set up And yet, the governments North and South have forgotten to build the all-Ireland economy. And we need now to actually institute the all-Ireland economy to make sure that we... We start to fund services Mm. north and south together, plan them uh, together and deliver them together Mm. because practically it makes more sense.
2: Delivery means fielding candidates and taking seats, doesn't it? Uh, Would you expect to field candidates in assembly elections? Would you expect to field candidates in a a British general election and would they take seats in Westminster?
4: Um, We will take seats in Stormont, but uh, it is my view that we shouldn't take seats in in Westminster. I believe that um, Irish... Elected representatives Mm. should listen to the electorate that uh, vote them in. You expect,
2: it in time, to be fielding candidates in all of these elections: European elections, Irish general election. Apart from yourself,
4: yeah, we will absolutely. We 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 look to uh, like the the, uh, electoral system is one of the avenues of political change within Mm. the country. But I will say another thing though: that we we will one of the, the marks of who we are will be our political activism on the ground. Political activism and grassroots activism is something that's starting to die off radically mm. in the other political parties. The other political parties have become very centralised in their decision makings, and many of them ignore the, the their, their, their uh, they treat their members as canvas fodder. And my view is that we need to actually start to re-empower the membership of these political mm. organisations. That the leadership needs to be a little bit afraid of their their membership, and that we need to make sure that our activism on the ground is stronger than the activism. That of any mm. other political party and that will be a defining mark of our organisation.
2: Where's Carol Nolan?
4: She's an awfully. Mm. So uh, I have had good conversations with Carol Nolan on on this and many other issues. What's her
2: resistance to joining forces with you?
4: I don't know if it's a resistance. I don't think you could say by definition that she has resisted. Uh, she is thinking about the issue uh, as are a number of other mm. Oireachtas members uh, as well. Um, it's a big decision, Michael, um, and like I, it, it, it's funny, but I know in, in Carol's situation, she probably feels that the experience that she's had in the other political party over the years has mm. been a difficult experience for her, and that leaves people, I imagine, you know, uh, cautious mm. about getting involved. A lot of people have come to us, and uh, as I said, you know, I'm talking to about twenty elected reps currently around the country. I know for sure, though, when people see this develop, when they see the name uh, set up, we have our first or Corlea meeting this uh, Saturday where 40 people will come together uh, for those, when they see Cummins starting up, when they see when they see the, the the colour of our activism and the quality of our representation and the development of our policies I've no doubt that there's a rake of elected mm. reps out there who are going this is something new, this is something mm. that's going to change <coughs> Irish politics this is going to be something that will will actually, for the first time tackle the group thing. Do you want Carol Nolan to help lead this party? I think Carol Nolan is a, is a really good uh, Do you want her to help lead? I, I would love to have Carol Nolan involved in the organisation, there's no doubt uh, in that but that's an answer for her to to uh, mm-hmm. a question mm-hmm. for her to answer. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, alright. Uh, but uh, uh, You're to register, you hope, uh, within what the next few weeks?
4: Yeah, we'll be, we? We have to have our first Orde meeting before we actually register. The application for registration will go in north and south Uh, as of the start of next week it's a process that takes a couple of weeks and so by the end of january we will be fully functional uh, and fully registered and you know we'd ask people outside you know if they're members or if they're elected reps if they feel that they're in the wrong political party if there's if the political organization that they're working for is doing damage to their core values to reach out it's too important to stay silent this change is not going to happen by itself it'll only happen mm. if people are driven by the needs to be active okay. and get out there and, and let's get involved Independent
2: TD for Mead West for the moment Padraig Thank you for coming in to us this
4: morning Thank
2: Michael Michael Reed Reed on on LMFM. Many will hope uh, the new year will bring about a fresh start and end to the homeless crisis, an acceptable conclusion to Brexit, and prosperity in the Irish economy are just some of the wishes that people in Drogheda have for the new year. They've been telling Ross Leakey about their wishes and hopes for Ireland for 2019.
4: Hopefully, sort the homeless crisis. It's a big, big issue. It's also the mental health issues in Ireland. It's not being addressed enough. There's not enough services going around for young people, especially of our age, to have a lot of stress on them with financial problems, especially with college, like for people that are travelling to college, having to phone in college, and maybe their parents only have one job at home. It's it's a big issue that they need to sort out. Of.
1: Why are your hopes for the island in 2019? I hope that Jesus will be born in our hearts. But Brexit is, um, goes easy on us. Well, I don't think we're going to come off unscathed. I think the English people didn't understand what Brexit was all about. I don't fully understand it myself, but I know little bits. You know, but um, I hope it works out.
2: Uh, continue the uh, economic success. I think it's a good, it's good year last year, and I hope it continues. Hope Brexit doesn't affect it. Hopefully not. I don't need to be as bad as to predict him.
3: Peace and quiet, I
2: suppose. <laughs> no border.
5: <laughs> my hopes for Ireland in 2019. Um, I'm kind of happy with everything is so hopes wise, continue it going. Everyone's getting their jobs back. People are finding their work with ease. A lot of my friends finished college, are getting their kind of you know career based work. So keep going in the right direction.
3: Yeah, I hope everyone just appreciates what they've got, enjoys family time together because it's so precious when you do have it, and um, hopefully another great summer. Oh, and I hope Brexit is sorted out, definitely, because that's um, a real worry, isn't it, at the moment, I think. So um, other than that, I hope everybody's just happy and healthy, plenty of money
2: in our pockets. I hope that they sort out Northern Ireland and we don't run into having more trouble, because I imagine if they don't, we could end up with a lot more trouble. And it's nice and peaceful now, Jack, and I'd love it to stay that way.
4: Yes, of course, yeah. yeah. Well, we're so close to the border... Yeah, living around here and uh, it's very important oh, of course Brexit is the big thing for 2019 but there's been a lot of uh, violence in the town of late and I hope that gets sorted out yeah, so I do yeah it's, it's very important uh, you know the town is getting a very bad name and I hope to leave poor the mother Mary Martin alone I leave the lords the way it is. My God, they have enough problems with them worrying about the name of the place.
2: Right, right. <laughs> I don't, I, I can't understand it considering how long the lords are there and what it was built for and Mother Mary, no matter what you say, build it. I listen to critics. I, 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 listen to, I listen to critics about it, but I'll tell you something. I criticise it, but I'd hate it if it wasn't there. I think it, it, it does a great service and the people in it are fantastic. And that us be honest, they are fantastic.
4: So I'd hate to lose them. Just to hope more jobs open up and we can sort, of sort out the homeless crisis, because I was up in Dublin there recently and there was a lot of people out in the streets and I feel sorry for them, especially in the cold weather. I feel less cold wind than myself walking around. And I'm glad I get to go home to somewhere just for some a nice cosy fire. Like and I feel sorry for all the people up there and I will always give some change to hopefully look into a shelter for the night or something.
6: Well, for...
1: Yeah, for Ireland I suppose a a, a good economy that it keeps growing
3: and uh, for ourselves just a peaceful, healthy and happy new year for myself and my family. I think the Brexit is going to have a big impact so I'd like to see the Taoiseach and the TDs do something about that now and tell us what the backup plan is. because a lot of businesses in the town, are border county, and there's a lot of businesses in the town that rely on that business in the north and across the water so I'd like to know what they're going to do about that. I would say they will be less homeless because um last year we were
1: in the position same position as almost being homeless in Dublin. That's why we're up here in um in Dragada. So uh, just look into it. Um, just look into the um the opportunity of building new houses or homes or something for people that you know that are homeless because it's not a good thing. Most of the children that are homeless it affects their Ability. It affects them mentally, physically, emotionally. So it's unstable for them. And it's not good for the children because it will affect them in the long run.
4: Hopes for Ireland. Um, families all having houses. No working poor. That's what I'd like. As little working poor as we can. That needs to go. Um, the flat is coming. So we get a second chance of that. Bring more people back to the town again. Just to make the town... As colourful as you can. As much and more arts. Definitely, let's increase the arts. Let's get behind the creative side of drawing because there's so much potential there.
7: That The homeless situation will be resolved because I think it's gone really, really bad. And not just in Dublin especially, where families, young families, children, I think it's just, it's appalling. We're talking about, um, you know, baby, it's cold outside, but we're not really concerned with the people who are really really cold outside but concerned with the words of a song and it's meaning and I think that we should maybe look at that differently
4: a new Taoiseach uh, just run the country better it's
2: just in a heap really you know nothing's going well at all that's
7: my opinion it. Anyway. yeah with more jobs uh, homes for people for homeless people there's a lot of homeless people in the town Um
1: to win the Lotto,
7: maybe.
2: <laughs> mm, always a good idea. People in Drada sharing their thoughts with Ross Leahy before the Christmas break and our thanks to them for telling us what their hopes are for 2019. On that note, Happy New Year to Marie Kearns who joins us because it is uh, the first programme of the year but it's also the first Wednesday of the week. It's probably the last Wednesday of the week as well, which means uh, <laughs> confused, that the <laughs> local newspapers are in your shops and uh, you've got uh, a number of them yes, I of managed here.
3: to get my hands on a couple today and we'll start off with the Dundalk Democrat and it may be a new year, Michael, but some of the same problems remain, unfortunately. Scourge of Boy Raider's return is the lead story of this week's Dundalk Democrat. After local councillor Anton Waters called for extra guardy patrols in the Ravensdale area to help help tackle the problem which he says are causing concern amongst local residents. The councillor said he received calls over the Christmas period from residents about excessive noise and dangerous driving caused by the so-called boy racers. And because the roads apparently were a bit quieter as a result of it being holiday time, they took the opportunity to behave recklessly, not only endangering their own lives, but anyone else who happened to be on the road, also inside the Democrat it's the time of year and there's a comprehensive news review of all the big stories that shaped 2018. You know, Always okay. worth a read of that.
2: All right, Parking in Drogheda uh, quite often yes. makes news and uh, yeah. once again uh, does so this week.
3: Yes, Hubert Murphy's reporting on a parking crisis, as the paper calls it, in the Scarlet Crescent area of Drogheda and uh, residents are reporting huge volume of vehicles being abandoned for the day outside their homes and are basically now demanding that something is done. Car are arriving in the early morning and are parking there until late afternoon, many belonging to workers and there's fears that emergency services will not be able to get ...to a home if needed due to congestion. And if if you know the estate, Michael, it is a fairly... uh, You know, there's only one way in, really, and one way out. So uh, if there's a lot of parked vehicles, it would create a problem. And it does seem to have arisen because if anybody's familiar with the area, many listeners will be in Scarlet Street. There was a free car park there at the fire station that workers used but that's now gone because they're building new homes so it appears that some workers are now parking across the road in this housing estate. But there was a bit of good news on the front page of the Drawhead Independent today Michael for one local family who got their new year off to a flying start after winning a brand new house. Wouldn't you just love it? Mum of three, Vicky Hannity was the winner of the much heralded by a feckin' house competition run by the same Fecin's GAA Club. The draw took place on Sunday night and Vicky, who's a teacher in St Mary's Parish Primary School, won the has valued at two hundred and eighty-five thousand okay. pounds. Oh, you're even. <laughs>
2: okay, very good. Uh, tragedy in uh, Navan, and uh, that makes for uh, the lead story on the front of the Mead Chronicle.
3: Yes, that's right. Um, Michael Navan and the wider Meath area was plunged into sadness on Christmas Eve when the news uh, emerged about the death of 23-year-old Colin Foley, who died suddenly after taking ill at home. And the Mead Chronicle leads with uh, that story in the paper today as tributes poured in for the popular young man. The town came to a standstill on Saturday morning as thousands filled St Mary's Church to pay their respects. And the paper quotes Collins' friend, Daniel Glynn, who said if you were having a bad day, then a simple text or anything from him would brighten up your day, even a smile. Anyone, everyone knew the fantastic smile that he always had. And Colin was the only son of Des Foley, who is Director of Services with the Mead County Council, and his wife, Marie. And we'd like to extend our deepest sympathy to them, Michael.
2: Indeed. Uh, deepest sympathy, as you say, uh, to Des Foley and indeed all of uh, Colin's uh, family and uh, friends. Uh, I'm sure uh, he is being mourned uh, near and far. Uh, they're just uh, some of uh, the stories from uh, the local papers, from the front pages of the local papers uh, this week if people want to comment on them you can uh, take calls from them now i'm sure marie as well and hear what they have to say or if they want to comment on something else that they've been hearing or if there's an issue that they'd like to raise with us on the program because you'll be back in the next couple of minutes with more of the indeed. comments that have been coming to us and you can ring marie now or maggie for that matter both are taking calls on eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight.
1: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed
2: on, on LMFM Now as uh, the Taoiseach said it is an historic start uh, to the year and history is being made with uh, the introduction of abortion services for the first time in this country. We'll talk uh, about uh, this now with Louise O'Reilly who's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health and uh, a very good morning to you indeed a uh, happy new year to you and thank you indeed for joining us here this morning Louise uh, Obviously, good morning
1: Michael and happy new year to you and to your listeners.
2: Thank you indeed. Uh, Obviously, uh, it'll take uh, a number of days before uh, these services uh, come uh, on stream, but uh, I'm sure everybody, regardless of their view on what is being provided, will have to agree that this is an historic occasion.
1: It is, and uh, it was a long time coming. Um, You know, this wasn't something that we, we sort of jumped into very quickly. We obviously had a lot of debate in the run-up to the referendum. We had a huge amount of debate in relation to the legislation. We had the Eighth Amendment Committee, the Citizens Assembly and all that went into that. Um, it is historic. Uh, it is historic because it's the vindication of the um, massive yes result uh, that was achieved in May. Um, I think it is the, the will of the people that women no longer have to leave this jurisdiction to avail of health care. I think people listened to the stories of, of women telling their own uh, their own individual stories in the run-up to the referendum and they decided that this is a service that should be offered here in this state. And I think that a lot of that, and I did a huge amount of campaign on myself, I think a lot of that was on the basis that we know that Irish women have abortions every day of the week. Um, and I think what people said was simply... Let's make it safer. Let's just ensure that, uh, that that women don't have to travel to avail of the service. Let's make sure they can have the service here at home.
2: What about the concerns we were hearing uh, before Christmas uh, that uh, this was being rushed and uh, that the services provided wouldn't be safe?
1: Uh, well, it's up to the, the doctors and the doctors themselves are signing up. There's 165 GPs have signed up. There's nine uh, maternity units and maternity hospitals that will be offering the service. Uh, the GP buddy did a, a survey there and they showed that um, there's another 7% ready to sign up and then another nearly 28% who are actively considering it. So uh, the doctors themselves will read the clinical guidelines and they will make the decision. But uh, we have 165 GPs, that number is rising, uh, who have signed up. And I'm sure that those men and women want to do the best for their patients. So they're not going to uh, offer a service that they don't believe is safe, and I mean, at the Eighth Amendment Committee, mm. we heard evidence uh, about safe practice in abortion care. We know that it can be done safely. Um, actually, what was unsafe uh, for Irish women in many instances was the necessity to have to travel on top of uh, on top of the abortion itself. The, the travel. Um, would, I suppose, make a contribution to, uh, to the procedure becoming unsafe, but it'll be up to doctors themselves. You know, I mean, the, the helpline mm. is open now. That's 1800 828 010 or myoptions.ie for any woman, uh, who's facing a crisis pregnancy who wants to talk about her options. This is about a choice. This is not about, uh, directing a woman one way or another. It's about making sure that she has available to her information about all of the options that might be available to her in her local community or in her local
2: uh, maternity unit. All right, and they say that there's been a steady stream of calls uh, to uh, that line since uh, yesterday Uh, but as to whether people are looking to terminate their pregnancies or or not uh, is unknown as yet. Undoubtedly some of the women are. Is there a chance though as things stand today on the 2nd of January that some of them will have to travel or at least travel further than others will have to given that there's just the nine maternity units that are offering a surgical procedure uh, and that there are some doctors uh, who uh, will prescribe medication and some who won't. As you say, there's 165 GPs. That's GP clinics, so more doctors than clinics uh, that have signed up to this. Uh, But uh, do we know how this breaks down across the country?
1: Well, we know that the service will be available in 24 out of the 26 counties. Um, So, therefore, there is a good geographic spread and when women ring the helpline or if they go to myoptions.ie they will be directed to the nearest gp uh, to them that will offer the service and i suppose we have to put this in context because mm. for many women facing uh, a crisis pregnancy the travel would have, would have been a lot uh, would have been a lot more onerous it would have involved a ferry or a plane now uh, we see that the service will be provided and we also see that the numbers are rising. So, what you know, the picture that we have on the 2nd of January is not going to be the same picture on the 2nd of February. There will be, uh, I believe, greater take-up in the coming days and weeks and, and the, the GP Buddy Survey uh, bears that out. Mm-hmm. So, we will see an increase in the uh, the spread of availability and the, the, the geographic reach of the service. But for the moment, as with any new service, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose there is going to be an element of GPs wanting to read the guidelines, to consider it themselves, to talk to the other GPs in their practice and to to make a decision on that basis. But uh, I would be satisfied that there is uh, a good geographic reach at the moment and I think that that's only going to
2: improve. Do you think that on the 2nd of January 2020 that we look back on the 2nd of January 19 and view it uh, as an introduction that was somewhat In the shadows, sort of a a a wink and a a nod uh, where people were reluctant to talk openly or as openly as perhaps in a year from now, because uh, the list of GPs hasn't been published. As you say, Uh, you have to go to the My Options helpline or uh, website uh, to find out your nearest GP.
1: And I think that one of the things that we discussed during the course of the Citizens Assembly, during the course of the Eighth Amendment Committee, and indeed, well, during the course of the referendum and the legislation, was the, the stigma that surrounds abortion. I mean, the, the figures tell us that, you know, we, we all know a woman who, uh, probably who has access to termination, yeah. but she doesn't feel able or capable to talk about it. This is a service that will be offered by GPs, and I think the more that, uh, the more that service spreads out, the more we're going to see uh, people more comfortable uh, being able to speak about it, but also um, that it will will, will be mainstreamed. One of the biggest issues I think we are going to have to tackle this year, and it's it's something, an amendment that I proposed in the legislation, which wasn't accepted by the government, Mm. but we will be pursuing it, is the issue of uh, intimidation for GPs that there should be, uh, as there are in other jurisdictions, buffer zones uh, around areas. Now, I would hope that that is not necessary, but I know from talking to doctors that it is a consideration for them that they are saying, "Well, look, I would like to provide the service, but I am concerned that I'm going to arrive into work and find protesters outside my surgery, so that needs to be addressed." So it remains to be seen uh, whether or not action will have to be taken um, in the form of legislation to ensure that uh, that the doctors and the the men and women mm. working in the in the surgeries and the practices are protected. But I think this time next year. If you and I are chatting, I think we will see that the the service has become bedded down and uh, that people, in fact, that women, in fact, are able to, to, to access the service locally. I think we will see more GPs signing up. I think the evidence is there that the, the figure is rising 80 um, percent. Of terminations should be carried out in the community. They they shouldn't need uh, to go to hospital. So therefore, I think we will see the service become a lot more mainstreamed in the coming um, in the coming months.
2: Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Louise O'Reilly is Sinn Fein's spokesperson on health.
1: Michael, Michael
3: Reed, Reed on,
2: on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. What have people been saying to you, Marie?
3: Well, Marie phoned in during your interview with Deputy Padlet Tobin and wonders, um, is he trying to set up a party that is exactly the same as Sinn Féin? Because it seems to her that it is the same type of policies as Sinn Féin, apart from the fact that this party won't be in favour of abortion.
2: Mm. Well, (laughs) Padre Tobin would say otherwise. Yes, very, very different, I think he would say.
3: Michael got in touch and says that he admires Padre Tobin and the fact that he stuck by his principles in relation to abortion and wants to wish him well with the new party. David phoned in and says that there is there really a need for another party in Ireland, Mm. that there are already... Uh, quite a number of parties and how will this party be different to the other parties and will it just fizzle out like others have done in the past such as the progressive democrats
2: all right well i think anybody who's ever started a party will tell you that there is a great need for another party in this country and that uh, there's no need for some of the existing parties for that matter as to why peter Tobin should establish this party that he's proposing today will it suggest you listen back uh, to the interview because he did spend quite uh, a long time explaining that to us.
3: Margaret is from Navin and she got in touch to say that she thinks that Pazitobin is a fantastic worker for Meath and thinks he was very badly treated by Sinn Féin. Listening to your interview, she thinks that the party will regret losing Padder and maybe they should have allowed members to have a conscience vote in relation to abortion.
2: Well, Sinn Féin didn't think so and uh, it was on foot of uh, a vote of the membership that Sinn Féin adopted, its policy and its policy of not allowing a a freedom of conscience vote.
3: Joanne got in touch and says that Pathetobin certainly is not one for sitting around. She wonders, was he planning this party for a number of months before he finally parted ways?
2: Well, that's uh, an interesting question. Uh, He said he didn't want to leave Sinn Féin uh, and after putting 21 years uh, of his time into working for that party, I imagine it was a very difficult decision for him.
3: I'm sure he is an intelligent Mm. man. He probably maybe knew that it was coming down the line and he probably was maybe thinking about what he was going to do. I don't know, but you'd imagine uh, like he's... He's fairly astute, I would say. Um, moving then on to the abortion services and your interview with um, Louise O'Reilly. Uh, Margaret, no, Pat from Navin phoned in. And Pat says uh, that he was disgusted to hear the Minister of Health say it was a momentous occasion to have abortion now available in Ireland. And then he says, you look in the papers today and you see all the New Year babies being born. How is And he is objecting to the fact that abortion is going to be free to those who want to have one. He says it would fit the government better to give more money to the nurses and doctors for the work they are already doing. And he says they are now coming out with giving free condoms. Perhaps they should have done that a long time ago and there wouldn't be as many seeking to have abortions. And he says... Fall Fáil um, went against abortion initially and then decided to support it and he feels they only did it because it was the popular thing to do and the party was looking after their own corner.
2: Okay, well I suppose there's no point in re-running the arguments uh, that uh, were feeding into the vote uh, in uh, the referendum and uh, that uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, a huge majority of uh, people were in favour of introducing abortion in this country. I'm not sure there's as many people or if you could say the same thing about motorway tolls and uh, one individual has been campaigning against the. Toll on the M1 since it was introduced in 2004, which is close on 15 years now. And Ken O'Healy, a very good morning to you, and thanks for joining us. So you you held your annual protest uh, on the motorway at uh, the toll again this year.
6: I did indeed, Michael, and uh, good morning to yourself and to your listeners, and happy new year.
2: And happy new year to you as well. Yeah, it
6: was uh, uh, well. It's the my annual way of bringing in the new year is to hold a protest at the tolls just to highlight the the ongoing difficulties posed by the ramp tolls at Junction 9 and the daily congestion and the knock-on effect of such tolls uh, due to people avoiding them and congesting the, the, the local road network.
2: Mm. As you say, you do it annually. How many years have you done this for now?
6: Well, as I said, is that there's been protests held at the tolls for the last 15 years. Mm. And not only that too, I wasn't the only one. There was other people over that period of time that held their own individual ones. So I don't want to be claimed to be the only protester at it. I'm just trying to acknowledge mm. that there's other people there.
2: OK, but after 15 years, uh, surely it's obvious that you're not going anywhere.
6: Uh, no, no, I, I think, on uh, like, uh, to, to be honest, you know, to put up a counter-argument mm. to that would be to say that there's 15 years left on the contract and we need to rededicate ourselves actually to putting in a, a much stronger emphasis to get the tolls removed. As what happened in the uh, East Link, uh, when they removed, when the contract came to its end, Dublin City Council took over the tolls and kept the tolls moving. Mm. And they are now running the tolls, same with the M50. So if if we're seriously about having the tolls removed, we need to highlight the difficulty that it poses on a daily basis. Um, And also, too, is that to look at the the longer goal would be that in the event that we haven't been successful, that when the contract comes for its end and there's discussions being held that the opposition will be such uh, that uh, they will not consider renewing the contract or extending the contract or extending those ramp tolls at that particular point.
2: So at the end of this 15-year period, you're talking about starting a campaign now, if you like, uh, which will run for 15 years uh, to see the tolls lifted when the contract runs out.
6: I know the honest is that uh, one of the calls I made for yesterday was that uh, we acknowledge the support of our local council members, uh, which uh, they all uh, call for the raising of the ram tolls, Jordan flat Flackeol, uh, and our local TDs have uh, voiced their opposition to the ramp tolls as well. I need to acknowledge that as well. And so in other words, from our elected members in the south end of the county, we certainly have unanimous support, and we welcome that. Uh, what we're going to try and do now is to try and see if... Uh, some of the elected members, uh, and we are available to meet with them or to travel with them to meet with uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland to make the case to actually lift the ramp tolls uh, for the, initially for the uh, for the flag coal, but the long-term goal would be to try and have the, the ramp tolls removed completely. Uh, but again, as I said, there's more than one uh, goal in the sense that a one aim we would try to see if we can... Uh, find uh, a way through to to, to get a resolution to the the, the difficulties posed by the the tolls. Uh, And if not, uh, yes, we are looking at a 15-year campaign where we keep highlighting the unjust nature of it uh, with the eventual hopeful that... uh, Because in the life of Drogheda, 15 years is a very short period of time.
2: Okay. well, this year, I think, probably noticeably warmer than some of the years over the past 15 years. uh, And undoubtedly, we'll talk to you again next January, Ken. And thanks uh, for talking to us this year. Thank you and Happy New Year to you. Ken O'Healy there, Toll's campaigner. Now let's go back uh, to some more of your calls. What else have you got? for Just on the
3: abortion services, Deborah says that she's delighted that women now no longer have to travel to England if they choose to to have an abortion for whatever reason. Uh, On the other hand, Theresa phoned in and Theresa thinks that New Year's Day this year was a very sad day in Irish history. And she'd like to know if, God forbid, a woman was to become seriously ill or die while undergoing an abortion, then who will be held accountable, the doctor or the government? think she's raised that question before with us too. I think she
2: has and uh, as I said the last time I don't really understand uh, the question uh, there's guidelines uh, and uh, if uh, there's a, a tragedy it'll be treated as a, a tragedy if there's medical malpractice I'm sure it'll be treated as such.
3: Same with us, the same as mm. other procedures. Yeah, exactly. Sean yeah. from Drogheda, just the final one says it's a sad day for Ireland that we now have abortion.
2: Alright, okay well uh, a, a lot of uh, people very vocal uh, against the introduction of uh, the legislation uh, of course, uh, it doesn't reflect uh, the outcome of uh, the referendum no. itself. All right, thanks uh, for that. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. And remember, if you would like to add to what's being said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. And our telephone number is 1850
1: Michael Reed
2: on LMFM. Okay, it's uh, New Year, same old conversation. The big bad B word is back and back with uh, vengeance. It's less than three weeks uh, to the deadline if uh, there is uh, to be a withdrawal agreement made between the United Kingdom and uh, the other 27 European countries. Let's talk about this with the Vice President of the European Parliament and local Fine Gael MEP Mairead McGuinness, who's come in to us this Good morning. Good morning to you. And Good
0: morning. Happy, Happy New, New, Year. New Year to you indeed. Thank you.
2: Yes. Uh, and uh, I suppose uh, we could even hear it in the Vox Pop earlier. People are very conscious at, at this stage that we really are down to the deadline. Uh, this may not be the final deadline, but if it, it, it turns out not to be, that as such, well, then it's very close to the end game, isn't it?
7: Yeah. And it's funny, over the festive season, mm-hmm. if you like, um, Brexit replaced weather as the topic mm-hmm. of conversation, because everywhere I went, people are very tuned in to the detail of Brexit and very anxious to know what I thought might happen. And indeed, you know, the scenarios that I paint, um, you know, everyone's guess is as good mm-hmm. as mine at this stage. So when you look at what is is supposed to happen. Um, this vote is to take place the week of the 14th in the House of Commons. Now, we presume that the Prime Minister will put it to the vote. Um, there, I see speculation that she's still looking for more legal certainties around uh, the uh, draft agreement, particularly around the backstop. Um, <clears throat> even though I think before Christmas, the, Council, yeah. the European Council basically said, look, you've agreed this. We can certainly offer some reassurances or clarifications, but we're not reopening what's on the table. So can she persuade enough of um, those who are very opposed to Brexit to Mm. go her direction because I think they're almost the key because those who are very hard Brexit, if you like, um, Mm. Rees-Mogg, etc., I think they're unlikely to be persuaded by any reassurances. So... Really, it's a political gamble, And well, mm, indeed, the yeah. DUP, because they've been very clear that mm. they're opposed to the backstop. I, I, I suppose what I find extraordinary is that this is 2019. Mm. You and I have been discussing this almost weekly yeah. since mm. the referendum vote. Exactly, yeah. The negotiations have been intense and ongoing. And in good faith, the European Union and the United Kingdom reached a deal. And yet when it went back to be voted on in the House of Commons, it shows that the British body politic and British society is deeply divided around Brexit, which makes us almost, and Europe, the victims of that uncertainty and that division. So I think we need to have a vote in the House of Commons. Now there's also speculation she might delay again or right. defer this yeah. vote. But if that happens it puts us in a really difficult position because the European Parliament that I'm in, we've got to put it through committee as well. Mm. And I think there'll be a lot of people in the Parliament looking at what's happening in the United Kingdom and that might determine mm. our view but we well, we'll do nothing until yeah. the UK decides.
2: They're to leave on the 31st of March. If that's to happen, this has to be agreed by the 21st of this month.
7: Absolutely. Right. That, yeah. that mm. has to happen. Now we've heard these deadlines before that were yeah it could become the
2: 31st uh, of it, april it, it could yeah.
7: I, I think the tricky thing is that um uh, the march is one deadline there's also european parliament elections in may mm. if the british looked for an extension of article 50 I think Europe would be willing, uh, it would be difficult, but we'd have to know that it was only time limited Mm. to use that expression and also that it would solve the problem rather than just give more time to debate the issue, Mm. which I think has been the difficulty to date. And
2: there'd have to be a separate agreement as to which countries would be... Uh, electing uh, MEPs.
7: Well, this, you see, this yes. is a. I know it's it's a minor, mm. but an important point that we have already legally decided mm. that the UK is leaving because that's the, what the referendum vote was. Every time there's elections, there is a look at redistribution of seats because um, populations change. So, in our case, in Ireland, there are two additional seats allocated: one to the constituency of Midlands Northwest that I'm in, and one to Ireland South. Now, if there's a deferral. Um, Could we see, I'm putting a question rather than an answer, could we see a situation where the UK would have to hold elections to the European Parliament. I think that would be politically very difficult Mm. for the European Parliament Mm. because you could see um, it being used again um, just to fight the Brexit debate rather Mm. than as uh, elections to the European Parliament. So I'm afraid I'm just giving you more headaches as I talk to you on this day when I thought, Mm. I mean I had actually said several times before Christmas, this has to be resolved before Mm. Christmas and unfortunately the saying of it doesn't mean that it will happen. I think you're
2: right by the way when you say that people are very focused uh, Mm and that the understand uh, the ins and outs of all of this uh, but to a lot of us uh, on the other hand it's white noise and you just hear it and it it breezes over you but I, I think for a lot of people living in the United Kingdom that changed in the course of the last week when they were told they'd have to apply to remain there if they wanted to stay there and work there, and it would cost them £62.50.
7: Yeah, I think and it's one thing that we don't understand in Mm. Ireland, because we have this common travel area so no Irish person in the UK will have to apply for settled status as they're calling Mm. it, but all our European colleagues, and I think we should show solidarity with them, Spanish, Italian, Mm. Polish they will have to reapply for permission to stay in the United Kingdom, and I think that's quite touching a sour note uh, in the minds of Mm. those citizens and their politicians and and remember that will impact as well on possible uh, scenarios uh, if things don't go to vote Mm. in January. I think it also shows what Brexit means. I mean we take free movement for granted. Um, You know we take this idea that we can travel without hindrance other than security issues very much for granted and yet these citizens Europeans Mm. who live in the United Kingdom and indeed UK citizens in In Europe may be impacted because there will be reciprocity here and I suppose the big challenge and I think the big worry I have is that um, we want the British Prime Minister to be able to get this withdrawal agreements through the House of Commons because Mm. otherwise it's very nasty politics and if the United Kingdom were to leave the European Union without reaching agreement so we have no political Mm. consensus, how are we going to get on together afterwards because Mm. there will be a day after even a crash-out Brexit, when things will have to be discussed. And I know that the border is the the area where we've talked a lot about, but actually citizens' rights, which you've just mentioned, and and quite rightly, also the budgetary consequences Mm. of a crash-out Brexit, the consequences for um, the regulation of everything from pet passports to drugs, um, Mm. supply of really important medicines, Mm. the horse racing industry, there isn't one facet of life today in Europe, and in the UK included, that would not be impacted negatively by a crash out Brexit and as I say we would still the next day have to try and pick up the political pieces to decide how are we going to function together because we can't escape the planet mm. we're all on it and and we're particularly impacted because um, of the close relationship so you know we've discussed some scenarios around deferral other people say oh there will be they won't leave and there'll be another referendum and I think that's very much the UK has to come to that thought process itself, I would imagine it would be very divisive. I don't know, what, yeah. would there be a different outcome? I think that you know, for us really the March deadline is the key issue because there will be no referendum before that mm. or indeed for a long time afterwards. So we have to see how can we get over that particular date. Um, the, 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 the best outcome is that the House of Commons supports this mm. and things proceed. I'm not convinced that's going to happen.
2: Uh, I was talking to a, a Greek man over the weekend mm. and uh, he had been living in, in London but had moved here. He moved here once the vote yeah. came in mm. uh, because he said he couldn't live without uncertainty. Uh, and, you know, I think if he had amazing foresight uh, that would be a terrible thing because uh, you'd be talking about an awful lot of other people who would be in the same position and would see Mm. Ireland as the obvious place to come to. Uh, And indeed if you've got UK's living uh, citizens living Mm. in in Europe uh, Mm. and they've been asked to leave, uh, Ireland could also be attractive. This could really put a lot of pressure on us in that sense.
7: Well, uh, yeah, and there's lots of Mm. other areas Mm. where it could put pressure on us. I think around citizens, I mean the Commission was very clear before Christmas that um, even in the event of a no deal they have really said look we have to look after our citizens. Mm. We shouldn't do anything um, to negatively impact UK citizens in Europe and they should retreat European citizens likewise." So I think on that there's an understanding that that would be very dangerous mm. to disrupt people's lives but look at the number of passports that have been issued mm. uh, to British it's I- yeah. people. That's It is quite extraordinary. Mm. I mean one of the areas for example which we perhaps will impact other stories this year is our health service because if the NHS lose European Union citizens, non-Irish for example, and they go Mm. back home, because there is a pullback to many European countries because the economies are picking up, the obvious place they source healthcare workers is Ireland Mm. and I know I I did seminars with the uh, medical organisations here and this was a key issue that we might lose staff and we are already under huge pressure from losing staff in our own system so you know, across the board um, we live with Increased uncertainty, um, and we're still. It's 2016 since the referendum happened, and we're still no clearer as to where. If you look at those
2: figures, uh, in 2015 Mm. there were 41 UK nationals who obtained Irish citizenship. That rose to 98 in 2016 and 665 in 2018.
7: Interesting how mm. one vote yeah. in one country has such a, an enormous mm. ripple effect. I think the other thing that it shows, and again, this was the chat over Christmas, that um, you know our, the complexity of our lives together as Europeans. It's very difficult to pull that apart. And I've always compared it with the, you know, not just the big root of a tree, but the fibrous tiny roots. That if you decide to pull out, you damage, and that's what we're seeing now. And I think mm. a lot of UK citizens, even those who still believe Brexit is is right right, are understanding better the complexity of our lives and how intertwined we are. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean, of course, that we can stop this easily. And I suppose there's a lot of things that happened since the vote, including the triggering of Article 50, the drawing of particular red lines by the British Prime Minister that have left us in this horrible situation of not being able to see with clarity the way forward, mm. um, our committees start up next week again, and I think in the Constitutional Affairs Committee, which where we deal with Brexit, that I'm a member of, I think we'll be trying to, you know, chart a course for us as a Parliament because we have very few sessions left before the May elections to get a lot of business done, we also are under pressure from the Commission, as is the dole uh, as you know, to m- rush through legislation mm. in the event of a no deal. Yeah. So our our, our our room to manoeuvre around things are quite tight. Um, and I think there'll be a lot of political pressure. So, you know, I, I hope, I haven't caught a cold yet, so I'm hoping I don't, because I think we're all going to have to be fit and well mm. for the next uh, run-in, at least till the end of March. Well, there's, what well,
2: 363 days left in this year, and mm. I'll give you the best laugh you'll get all year now by telling you that the solution is very simple. Uh, Why why, why don't they uh, agree the parameters for the Future Relationships Agreement?
7: Because, well, that's actually, a lot of that is done already in the political declaration. But the legal text of withdrawal, any country Mm. withdrawing, has first to agree the divorce settlement Mm. and have a chart for
2: the future. A little bit like the uh, abortion referendum. People knew what they were voting for because you were voting to repeal the 8th, but you knew what the legislation would be. Uh, In the same way now with Brexit, Mm. uh, why uh, can... Theresa May not uh, agree on behalf of British government uh, uh, to uh, uh, divorce the European Union, uh, Article 50, uh, and the withdrawal agreement be made uh, on the basis that the future relationship would be uh, Canada-style agreement or...
7: Well, you see, a lot of that is actually written down in Mm. the um, political declaration on the future relationship. But it's
2: aspirational. It's not concrete. Well, it's
7: more than aspirational. But I also think um, she has a difficulty because she has drawn particular red lines. So Mm. um, what the British and this was a phrase that hasn't used thus far in in 2019, but I'll use it now, of having your cake and eat it. There's a sense in which the British want some elements of Europe that they desire, uh, but others that they don't. But the political declaration is quite strong on wanting to be And from an Irish point of view, we want that as well. But there will be also a price to be paid for that in terms of additional budgetary contributions, because if you want to stay close to the agencies, for example, the European Medicines Agency, Mm. the Chemicals Agency, and these are world class world leaders where Britain is at the table and makes decisions. But if you decide we are leaving but you want to still be in, there is a price to be paid for that. And that detail has to be negotiated. So I don't think there's any lack of clarity about how close we want to be. I think it's only when you sit down and try and understand the consequences of red lines Mm. that it becomes difficult to deliver. But I don't think that's the stumbling block. I know there are some in the UK who say we should have discussed the future before the present. But that would be a very dangerous place to be in because at least we identified three core issues in the withdrawal agreement that needed to be resolved. I would not like to see how citizens would be treated, for example, or the budgetary issue addressed or the Irish Mm -hmm. question had we not dealt with them now i think we could be in quite a mess if we try to put it all together because there would be a lot of horse trading going on and on those three issues we don't want horse trading we want clarity for people we want clarity around ireland and we want clarity But that clarity the
2: as you know it suggests it is uh, that it undermines uh, the constitutional integrity of the unity of the united there kingdom There are
7: only some people mm. who believe that Not everybody, but that's because it's a backstop. Um, Yeah, but but it's a backstop unless and
2: until Mm, it's
7: only that insurance policy. Um, And I think what what in my I would read Mm. it completely differently. I would read it as. Um, if you like, a real incentive for Europe and the mm. United Kingdom to get on with it on okay, the future. But
2: you're not winning that argument, right or wrong, you're not winning that argument w- well, with the Arlene way, fosters of this world. we don't to
7: win that argument. I mean, I think we have to be very clear about where these arguments are. The European Union has a, a position mm. which it negotiated. It was accepted by the UK negotiators, Prime Minister. Okay. Mm. She accepted, signed up to the draft. Um, it is her job, and Mm. I think she knows that, to try and argue these issues. I get messages all the time Mm. from people in the House of Commons saying that, look, the Brexiteers will accept the withdrawal agreement if you scrap the backstop. Mm. I don't reply to those, because frankly uh, the European Union has a clear position on this issue, and it has to be delivered on. But
2: that leaves us in the same position that we've been in since the beginning of this debate, which is a doomsday scenario. Well, Mm, I mean,
7: yeah, yeah, I mean it leads us closer to Mm, that possibility mm, because mm. the closer you get to the end of March, you begin to feel the heat and the Mm, anxiety. mm, mm. On the other hand, I think that um, Barnier and all of the people involved, Mm. myself included, we have been incredibly open about what we were doing, why we're doing it and try to explain. So, I think where I hope the clarity will come is that there will be a sense that Europe has said we want the deal on the future, which you've r- just raised, to happen as quick as possible, mm. the negotiations to start, and for them to be concluded as quick as possible. But there's no way we could say, well, look, we put the whole lot together and off you go, because there are lots of legal issues. I mean, while it might make sense when we're chatting here to mm. do things, When you look at the legal consequences of various steps, they're they're very difficult, very complex. And that's why, above all else, Europe, while it might irritate people, when there is an agreement, it is legally sound and rules matter. And that's why it has taken perhaps a long time to get to this stage. In terms of it being a doomsday, um, you know, we probably look at only one issue. But for the United Kingdom, for them as a country... I think it would be more than doomsday. Now, we would certainly be badly impacted, but look at its reputation as a major country, which it believes it is. If it wants to do agreements elsewhere, which it wants to do, and and these trading partners are looking at saying, well, they couldn't even reach an agreement mm-hmm. with close neighbours and friends, how will they be able to deal with uh, other players around the world? So I think there's a lot of consequences for everybody. I think the biggest loser in all of this could be politics itself. Um, And I must say that in the time since the referendum, but even before that, you could see at play a very difficult political um, development, really, where um, the United Kingdom had for long had a difficult relationship with Europe, perhaps didn't have the experience of various votes that the Irish people have had and indeed voted twice, so weren't tuned in to the complexities. Um, I think they are now, and I think that's quite Mm. extraordinary, that because of the detail that has emerged, they are more tuned in to what has happened. For us to fail to deliver Um, on a withdrawal agreement uh, by the end of March, I think would be really bad for all of us. And while we're planning for it, because we've got to do that, and the Commission and and governments across Mm. Europe are putting in place plans, I think we all hope that those plans will never need to be used.
2: And what about May, Uh, regardless of whether there's an agreement before or after May Mm. or whether there's ever one or not, uh, undoubtedly uh, it'll feed into the election uh, campaign in May. Mm. Uh, I take it you uh, hope to be re-elected uh, and uh, are set uh, to engage in this debate that will be dominated by Brexit.
7: Yeah, I, I mean, I am running again for the European Parliament in, in Midlands Northwest. I think Brexit will be one of the issues because it impacts on so many others. I, I think if we have a withdrawal agreement and the UK leaves, it will be a very different um, conversation than if we don't have a withdrawal agreement and there's uncertainty about what the British are going to do. So I think the debate's depending on Mm. A or B but I I think maybe for the first time because you and I would have gone through various European election campaigns which become domestic
6: Mm.
7: water charges Mm -hmm. was a key feature austerity you know and rightly so these are concerns of people on the ground I, I, I imagine that the debates might be more European in nature uh, this time around, I'm also conscious, though, that we have local elections. Mm. So, you know, our local elected representatives will, will be dealing with the grassroots issues um, also. And we're going to have a number of referendum, I think, as well. It so it's like not going. You're yeah. going to be busy. Yeah. You're going to have a great time <laughs> yeah, You'll be able to it, yeah. fill programs yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and keep mm. going. So I think it's going to be a very complicated political um, story to try and even navigate and you know I do a lot of thinking over Christmas and walking in the fields the dog and I have great conversations and he always agrees with me trying to understand what the issues will be what way people are thinking at the moment because I think that um you know, we've, we've gone through enough, a lot of trauma in Ireland, but there, the economy certainly is picked up. There's a, a, a better sense um, uh, of things going in the right direction. Brexit is that dark cloud mm. and we have other issues to contend with. So it's very hard to see what the core issues will be. I hope they'll be European and national, not just national, because okay. I think we're going to have to find our place in Europe. Um, whatever happens with the United Kingdom, because they're All more right. detached Okay. And
2: we are. Well, hopefully, it'll become a little bit more clearer in the coming weeks. Uh, we have to leave it there. But uh, many stuff. thanks for coming in to Good start the to year off with us. Yeah, normally yeah, I'm yeah. somewhere else, and it's of nice to come in. So,
7: a very happy New uh, right. Year to you and your listeners, and
2: many happy returns. And thanks, as I say, for coming in to start the year with us, Ray McGinnis, Finagale MEP,
1: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. FM.
2: Now to an annual contentious subject, and uh, that is uh, the count of uh, the number of people who are sleeping rough on uh, the streets in County Louth. Uh, Over recent years, uh, the count has resulted in finding that nobody is essentially sleeping rough on uh, the streets. Uh, I think in more recent months uh, anecdotal evidence would prove otherwise uh, but uh, that's why there was much anticipation about the results of uh, this year's count and we're joined by Sinn Féin Councillor Joanna Byrne because as readers of uh, The Drogheda Independent will know uh, Councillor Byrne is very concerned that the count hasn't taken place. Uh, good morning and Happy New Year to you Joanna and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, this uh, should have happened... Uh, under normal circumstances, in November I think, is it?
0: Good morning Michael, Happy New Year and to all your listeners as well. Yeah, usually um, the annual Sleepers' count takes place mid-November, it's kind of in and around the time of the the full County Council meeting of that month. Um, Now I have been trying to get advanced preparations in place for this in September of this year at every Council meeting, urge an engagement with the voluntary bodies and the Towns in advance of the rough count to ensure that an accurate count was returned and the results were reflecting um, a true image of, of what we're facing and what we, we are seeing as public representatives on a daily basis in our constituency clinics and mm. our offices and, and, and whatnot. And um, to date, it hasn't happened in Drogheda. It did happen in Dundalk in the middle of December, but the one in Drogheda hasn't
2: happened as of yet. And why not?
0: Well, funny enough you'd say that. I actually only learned the reason for that in a statement I read on the LMFM website in the middle of December. I did ask about it again at the municipal district meeting of um, of in December, and I was told that preparations were still in place and that they did envisage to have it over the coming weeks. The following night at the Dundalk municipal district meeting, the Dundalk councillors asked about the rough sleeper count, and they were told that it was postponed in Draada because of security reasons due to the ongoing feud and the crime activity that's been happening in our town as of late. Now, the night before, the Draada councillors weren't given that respect and weren't told the very same information. So as it happened, we had a joint policing committee meeting um, that week after I read about it on LMFM and I tackled the Chief Superintendent about it and I said that it was a major concern of mine that this feud was leading to Lake County Council not fulfilling our statutory obligations and he did assure me in front of the Director of Services for Housing Paddy Donnelly from Lake County Council that Angarda Shea would work with the local authority to provide whatever assistance or anything that may be needed to ensure this would be carried out.
2: What, to, they, uh, esc- uh, to escort staff, is it?
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, that is something that, that had been discussed before hmm. um, because the local authority can't actually enter private property. So there was concerns that the local authority couldn't cross onto a squash if it was private hmm. property. And we have asked, several reps have asked over the areas that maybe include on Gardashi Econa for that reason that mm. they could, you know. So he, it would
2: But that it, wasn't their be concern. Benefit. Their concern was this feud that's <laughs> ongoing. Uh, the concern
0: uh, was was their feud and right. my point following that now mm. but don't get me wrong, by all means I don't expect any member of like County Council or anywhere else yeah. to put themselves at risk to do this. But if the local authority can see that there's a heightened safety concern for them Hmm. while carrying out the rough sleeper count it's common sense that there's a heightened safety concern Okay, but this sends out a remarkable
2: message I think uh, to the people of Drogheda and indeed to the rest of the people in the country because as you say they've carried out these counts in Dundalk uh, and you'd have the same issues uh, as to whether you access squats or whatever Uh, so that's not the security issue, the security issue here is that the streets of Drogheda are considered to be unsafe yes
0: which, in my opinion, is more important that this count is carried out as a matter of urgency and Mm. we remove anybody who may be sleeping up or who may be
2: homeless from the street. But if if it's unsafe for council staff uh, to carry out uh, a function like this, what what does it mean for people who are just living in the town?
0: That's exactly my point. That's exactly my point. And I actually went to the the level of saying that it made my blood boil, that Mm. there was a safety risk for the staff, but there was no safety risk for those who were sleeping on the streets. Let's just leave them there. Let's put off the count and leave them there. That's not acceptable to me. It's not acceptable at all. If anything, you should have went the opposite way and the count should have, been, should have been carried out as a matter of urgency. Now, I have actually got mm-hmm. my own rough sleeper count planned for a night later in this week, um, and I've asked a colleague of mine councillor Kenneth kind of Flood to come with me so I'm not on my own I have some of the volunteers from some of the voluntary bodies on the town mm. agreed to come with me as well and my intention is to go out and show that this can be done um, and I'm hopefully going to find an accurate amount of people that are sleeping on yeah. the streets and force the hand of the council to carry this out and carry it out soon, sooner rather than later and let's deal with the problem. This isn't just a big city issue mm. anymore. This is a problem that's facing Drogheda and it has to be It has to be, it has to to be. be dealt with.
2: What time uh, would they tend to carry out these counts?
0: Last year it was carried out between half two and half three in the morning.
2: It's not safe then to walk the streets of Drogheda between half two and half three. In the, in the, the opinion of the council, until yeah. they're out, yes. I, I, and, I mean, an awful lot of people would be out at that time. Uh, I think, if not mistaken, uh, a lot of uh, the clubs would be emptying around that time, wouldn't they?
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, they would indeed. Um, I suppose on the weekend nights, but th- there is... Um nice where it's quieter as well, and, mm. and, and you know that.
2: Well, you're probably at quite... more risk when it's quieter, I suppose. Yeah, uh, but, exactly. But the council is uh, yeah. saying that the, the, this feud makes it unsafe to be on the streets at that time when there's an awful That's lot of it. people on the streets at this time.
0: Yeah, the housing report, um, it's been included actually in the housing progress report for January, and what it actually states now is the rough sleeper count in Drogheda has been postponed due to the security situation. Mm. That's all it says. Now, the statement that was previously released on LMFM did um, say it was due to the ongoing fusing and crime in the Drogheda area. But to me, it defies all logic. If that's the case, all hands need to be on deck. We need to get anybody who's sleeping on our streets off the streets if there is a heightened safety concern.
2: How many people do you believe uh, are in that situation?
0: I I would say, to, to give... And off-the-cuff count, mm-hmm. I would say probably between 10 to 15. It's not a huge number, but it's a, it's a huge significance to those 10 or 15 who may be out there. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of them may be already, the, the local authority may be aware of them. Um, they may not fit the criteria that we currently have in the services we we provide. I've been on your show already mm-hmm. talking about this, about I believe the need for WEST facility to, to facilitate some of those people, but it may not be a substantial number in the big scheme of things, but it's a substantial number for for Drada and it's a substantial thing to those people, regardless of how big or small the number is.
2: All right, Joanna, I have to leave it there for the moment, but thanks uh, for joining us this morning. Thank you indeed. That's uh, Sinn Féin Councillor in Louth, Joanna Byrne.
1: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed
2: on, on LMFM. Time now as is usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. And we're joined uh, this week by Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navin Station uh, to begin uh, the year with a, a number of incidents uh, that Garda are investigating locally, which perhaps you can assist with. And we begin with a car theft that happened in Trim in the early hours of Friday. This was the 21st of December.
5: Yes, good morning, Michael, and happy new, and year, happy to new year, to you, year to you and as well, to your yes. team and your listeners. Um, this theft happened in Trim. Um, the early hours of Friday the 21st at 10 past four in the morning, a house was broken into a castle close in Trim. The keys uh, to a car were taken and that car was stolen. It's a black Nissan Juke registration 181 MH1779. Now, there was a gentleman in the area about 40 minutes before that theft. Uh, He's described as wearing a white baseball cap, a puff jacket, great tracksuit bottoms and Nike runners with reflectors on the back of them we just like to eliminate him from our inquiries or otherwise. Mm-hmm. So if anybody has any information on that theft, please contact Trim Garda Station.
2: Okay, and that's the Friday before Christmas, uh, the 21st of December. Uh, the same uh, time that a house was broken into in Blackrock.
5: Yes, Michael, this one happened. Um, it's actually evening time on that Friday, the 21st. A house was broken into at Marlmount Green in Blackrock. Um, The house was ransacked. Uh, The burglary happened sometime between 4pm and 7pm. A quantity of cash was taken and some items of jewellery. Now, we know that there was a grey Audi A3 acting suspiciously in the area. It had a WW registration. So, we're appealing to any local persons there in the Marlmount Green area if they can recall seeing that car or any suspicious individuals or activity to please contact the Gardaí at Blackrock
2: Okay, Christmas Eve then and uh, the report of a theft from a person in the Drogheda area
5: Yes Michael, a lady was walking on Scarlet Street on Christmas Eve evening at 7.40pm she was on her mobile phone when a man suddenly approached from the rear he grabbed the phone out of her hand and ran off he ran towards Garvey's pub and turned left and ran up the hill there Uh, The only description we have is that he was wearing a grey hoodie. So that was a very upsetting experience for that Mm. lady. The phone was a Samsung S8 Plus Black. So the culprit may have attempted to offload that phone over the Christmas... Mm. And if anybody can help with that investigation, we'd ask them to contact Drogheda Garda Station.
2: Okay, in a busy area, at a busy time, Christmas Eve evening, a lot of people out socialising at 20 to 8 in the evening. Perhaps somebody saw something uh, that they may uh, be able to report on to you. Uh, We go to Slane, uh, where a burglary occurred in between uh, the Christmas and uh, the New Year on the 29th of December.
5: This was last Saturday the 29th, um, between 3 o'clock and half 6 in the evening. A house was broken into an abbey view in Slane. Um, entry was gained by smashing a rear window and the house was ransacked. And what's unusual here is that a quantity of old coins were taken from the house. So perhaps uh, somebody heard about somebody trying to offload those old coins. Uh, anybody with information that can assist there, we'd ask them to contact Slane Garda Station.
2: All right. And to, to Kilmesson then on uh, the Sunday, the 30th, uh, three garden sheds and garages broken into...
5: Yes, uh, this happened sometime over the last uh, weekend, sometime between Friday evening and Sunday. Um, It was discovered on Sunday morning around 11am. Three sheds in the Cardiffs Lane area of Kilmesson were broken into. Now there was quite an array of property uh, taken from these sheds. Um, In the first shed there was uh, a lot of diving equipment taken, a couple of wetsuits, snorkels, regulators, that type of specialised diving equipment. Um, in another shed, three bicycles were taken and an array of power tools. And in the third shed, uh, there was a, a ride-on lawnmower, a castle garden ride-on lawnmower taken. Uh, so in total, over €10,000 worth of property was taken. God. The culprits would have had to use transport to take that amount of property away. So we're appealing to anybody who was in the Cardiffstown Kilmesson area over last weekend if they saw any suspicious or unusual vehicle if they can assist in any way to contact Navan Garda Station
2: Okay, an incident of arson to report on in RD on New Year's Eve
5: Yes, this happened it's the early hours of New Year's Eve Michael, Sunday night into Monday morning at 2am two men were disturbed at Moorhall Close in RD Uh, they were trying to set fire to a vehicle and a a neighbour observed them and disturbed them and they ran off now the vehicle didn't catch fire there was only superficial damage caused but when Gardaí arrived it was established that a petrol bomb had also been thrown at a house uh, the bomb did smash but fortunately did not ignite A front window in the house was cracked so luckily this could have been something more serious luckily it wasn't um, and in fact all four tyres in that car were also slashed so this is a serious incident that the Gardaí and RD are investigating and we appeal to anybody who was in that area, the Hale Street or Moorhall Close area of R D, in the early hours of Monday just gone, if they saw anything unusual or suspicious, or can assist, to contact R D Guard mm-hmm. Station, or of course they can talk to us in confidence on the confidential line one eight hundred six treble one.
2: All too familiar, all too commonplace, unfortunately. Uh, but some good news, I think. Well, we start with the bad news. I think somebody lost some money.
5: That's the bad news, Mike. <laughs> yeah. but the good news is the Guardian Trim have it. Mm. Um, a quantity of cash was handed in to Trim Garda Station. It was found um, at Market Street in Trim at lunchtime on Friday the 24th, so the Friday before Christmas. Perhaps somebody was out doing the Christmas shopping. It's a sizable amount. I won't say the mm. exact amount, but if you think it's yours, Guardian Trim, contact them and hopefully we can reunite that cash with the owner.
2: All right, and uh, we'll conclude this week with a a word of warning to people who might be looking for a bargain on the internet.
5: Yes, Michael, just a warning here from from, uh, Guardian. Loud Division have a few of these cases in recent days. Um, People are uh, buying items on the internet at greatly reduced prices, such as the latest iPhone or the latest laptop. And what happens is they arrange to meet the seller in a car park or some other such location the seller shows them the item. The buyer is happy with the item. Uh, the buyer counts out the money, and the seller um, hands them a pre-packed box or a bag. And the seller then vanishes. And when the buyer opens the bag to find out that it's not the item they were buying, it's a magazine or a piece of wood or even a bag of sugar, and you've been conned. So the advice is generally: buyer beware. If the price is well below the market price, ask yourself, why is that? You know, this is high risk stuff you're engaging in here. It could be a stolen item. It's it's a scam. Um, so if you're buying goods in a car park from people like that, remember, you have absolutely no guarantees. You have no consumer protection mm-hmm. rights. So beware of that. Gardaí, as I say, in Loud Division are investigating a number of these cases in, in recent days.
2: Alright, well you have been warned and uh, thank you for that warning and indeed for uh, the report uh, this week. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Garden Station. Uh, we'll return to the Guarded Crime Desk in its usual slot. That's uh, next Tuesday around this time. But That's where we bring our programme to its conclusion today with thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie Maguire for researching and Chris Marie in the Control Tower. I'm michael and god willing we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9 a.m right here on lmfm good
4: morning bye-bye the michael reed show podcast tune in weekdays from nine on lmfm to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie